Anybody else doing okay? <laughs> You're like, first week of school? Not that good, but how are you? Um, who didn't have school uh, this week? <laughs> the leaders are like, me. Uh, quite a few. Quite a few. I talked to quite a few people that were like, I actually don't start for a while. Um, lucky for you. That's legit. I'm glad you guys get some time. Um, if we haven't met yet, I know there's quite a few new faces in the, in the room. Um, my name is Nick. And uh, really excited to be here. I lead the high school ministry here. And um, we, this summer just got, recently just got back from um, camp, summer camp. How many of you guys were at summer camp? Legit. It was um, amazing. If you weren't there, I just want to say that we really missed you. We wish you could have made it. Um, but we're, we're going to be talking about um, what it looks like to take camp home. So if you didn't go to camp, just what you need to know is camp was next level. We experienced God in a really powerful way, um, and, and we don't think that he's done, done with us. We don't think it's like, okay, well, see you next year. I guess we'll experience God at camp next year. Have fun just chilling and not experiencing God. We think that God wants you um, to encounter him every single day. So what we've been doing is taking some of the aspects of camp and thinking through how do we encounter God on a daily basis, much like we did at camp. If you're thinking, I didn't go to camp, this isn't going to apply to me. Actually, it does. It has every. It applies to you perfectly because it's talking about daily encounters, not necessarily just about camp. So we basically set the stage last week for what makes camp so powerful, and we're talking about how, how we have so much access to God um, in the camp setting, but... How, how many of you know it would be really messed up if you only ate food once a year or once a month or once a week? But oftentimes we're like, man, I need to get to church to get filled up. But what if God wanted you to access a nourishing lifestyle with him every single day? How do we encounter him every day? Because we encountered him every day at camp. But let me just say the same God you're accessing at camp is accessible when you're at school, when you're at your sports events or whatever it might be. Um, our hopes... Um, aren't that you would just have a, a, a once-a-week faith where you're like, man, I'm starving. I just can't wait to get back to youth. Of course, we want you to come here super stoked for, for youth, but we want you to be encountering God all week long. So how we started last week is we kind of broke down the camp environment. What makes camp so powerful? And here's kind of what we came up with. We were saying, man, there's no screens. And not only are we not distracted by our, by our screens, but everybody around us is in the same boat. They also don't have screens. So the people around us are actually attentive. How many of you know what it's like to be the only one without a phone, and you're like, I feel really left out. At camp, you don't feel that way, right? Um, people are present. Um, we have frequent extended worship. There are several times a day we're worshiping, we're connecting with God in that ways. Um, we have opportunities to give and receive prayer. Maybe you engaged in that. There's tons of time in scripture, whether that's through the speaker or through the quiet time, or maybe during your free time. A lot of you holy rollers were like reading your Bible during quiet time. Um, there's ample amounts. Oh, wait. Nope. Time in scripture. Yep. There's meaningful conversations with community. How many of you guys had really meaningful, like lifelong conversations? I was like, that actually really impacted me. Okay. Um, Fun experiences in community. Um, three meals a day in community, which the meals there are bomb, but we're actually eating three meals a day around a table, quiet time, um, engaging in spiritual conversations. So those are kind of how we broke it down. But what I want you to notice is how many of these have to do with community or being around people? Camp is built on the shoulders of community. If you went to the camp facility and did the exact same stuff, swam, worship, quiet time, go-karts, but you were the only person on campus, how lame would that be? Some of you introverts are like, honestly, that'd be pretty sick. But 
it would be the worst week ever at the end of the day. It's, it's the community that makes camp camp. It's, it's what makes the experience. It's in community that we are called to follow Jesus. Um, Mother Teresa has this kind of, so this is review for a lot of you, but she has this line that, that's kind of haunting. She says, Lep- loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Loneliness. That's, maybe you guys have felt really lonely in the, in the most recent years. There was a, a poll taken recently in parallel with like the rise of social media and the digital age and whatnot. And, and um, the poll actually asked like, how do you prefer to follow Jesus? Is it with a friend or on your own? And the majority of people chose on your own. <laughs> like, I love Jesus, but I don't like his people. That's kind of the, kind of the thing. But um, I want to make this point here. Connectivity does not equal community. Con- being connected to people, having access to people, knowing what people are up to is not the same as being in deep friendship or deep community. Would you agree with that? Um, Sherry Turkle, it's like this um, sociologist and psychologist at MIT, super smart lady. She, she's a genius, and she's been writing for several decades on this now. And she wrote this book called Alone Together, which the title alone is crazy um, because we are all have this sense of feeling lonely even though we are together. And listen to what she says in her book. She says, we are lonely but fearful of intimacy, Digital connections may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked lives allow us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. Have you ever gone like weeks without seeing anybody, but you know what everybody's up to because of social media? Some of you do. But we would rather text than talk. When technology engineers intimacy, relationships are reduced to mere connections, and then then uh, connections become defined as intimacies. So it's like, oh, I'm really close with this person because I know everything about them. It's that awkward moment when you've been following somebody on social media for like years, you never seen them in person, and then you're like at Target, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's them. You know what I mean? I feel like I know them. That's not an intimate relationship. That's just a connection. Okay, maybe I'm just alone in that one. But um, you may be convinced that, that community is essential to our faith, um, but we can't just say that without acknowledging that community kind of is messy at times. People, honestly, are kind of the worst at times. Would you agree with that? Like, I don't want to stand up here and be like, we just need to be a part of a community because it's like, I don't know if I can say this from stage, but community sucks sometimes. Like, people are really, really difficult. And it's been like that for a really long time. Listen to this in Matthew 10, 1 through 4. Listen to this. And he called, so Jesus calls the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, which is legit. And, and he wants to, them to cast those things out and he wants them to heal every disease and every affliction. And um, the names of the 12 apostles are this. Pay attention to this. First, Simon, who's called Peter, which is funny. Um, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Math, uh, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So I have underlined up here the only two names that have descriptors, right? Why would he add, like, this is what this guy does and this is who this guy is? But they don't say that about anybody else, um, By this time, Jesus had a ton of people following him, but he had this inner circle. This is the inner circle, and there's the descriptors on these. What is going on here? Um, Well, there's a wide range of people. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about community. We see Matthew is a tax collector 
who works for Rome. So um, tax collectors were hated among this time. It was like a really confrontational thing to be a tax collector. And then it says Simon was a zealot, which is a violent sect of the first century Jews who used like guerrilla tactics to kill people like Matthew. So they're like, there's like two enemies in the same group here. So zealots were commonly associated with or known as daggermen, meaning they would like wait until people like Matthew were around and they'd get in the crowd and they'd have like a robe on and they'd jump out and like dagger somebody straight in the neck. And like, it was like murder mystery for real. And um, they'd slip out, act like nothing happened. So imagine Matthew, this guy who Simon thinks is a jerk, and Simon, this guy that Matthew thinks is a killer in the exact same Bible study. That's kind of a messy community, wouldn't you agree? Very messy. So not to get too political, but I kind of want to put it in like perspective here because it's kind of a hot topic. But imagine there's like a Make America Great Again hat wearing dude with like the gun in the back of his window, like, you know, come here, boy, that kind of a guy, right? And, and he walks up to a house to join a Bible study with like a bunch of like progressive leftist elites, right? Probably sipping tea or something like that. So there would be tension in that room, wouldn't there? It's like, we don't, one of us is not like the other, right? This is, do you, do you think there would be issues that came up? Do you think conversations that are kind of hot topics would kind of rise to the surface? Would it have gone well? It probably would have been hard. I can't imagine it just being smooth, like community is just ideal. It's awesome. No, it probably would have been hard. So so Jesus puts together this community from across the spectrum, and it's not just like the socio-political thing. You also have different personalities. There's tons of different personalities in this room that we have to deal with when it comes to, to community. So Peter, if you know anything about him in the Bible, he's like this loud, intense dude. And then Thomas is kind of like this emo blogger kind of a type. And then you have James and John, who are referred to as the sons of thunder in the Bible, which sounds really, really cool to be referred to as that way. But being called the sons of thunder by Jesus is actually like a really bad thing. You don't want to be called that. These dudes would tell God, would be like, God, destroy that village right now. You know what I mean? Like basically the the sons of thunder, right? They obviously weren't taking note on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And then you have next to them, like, Judas, this kind of, like, cold, analytic, calculating, like, backstabber type. And um, all this to say, there's this very diverse group, and I doubt that it was easy to get along with one another. It was probably difficult. And if if you ever have read the Gospels in Matthew 20, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in short, we read the story of the mob of the sons of thunder. So imagine your bros, you're the sons of thunder, and your mom... um, uh, James and John, right? Your mom, uh, let, me, let me see here. They come to Jesus, and they basically say, listen, my boys are awesome, and I want them to be at your right hand in heaven. Like, all these other guys are pretty cool, but coach, put my son in, not, not these boys, because my son deserves to be at your right hand, Jesus. And then it says the other, ter- the other 10 heard about this. They, th- it was like the parent like slipping the coach 10 bucks, like put my son in, you know? And then the other 10 are like, what the heck is in the scripture? It says they were indignant. They were furious. They were ticked off. And Jesus goes on to teach about how God's kingdom is backwards to the world. And he says the, the first will be last and the last will be first. Um, it's, it, it, it's pretty crazy. So all that has to do with like the messiness of community. And Dave talked about this uh, on Sunday, if you were there, but this is what he said. 
There is the ideal of community, which is like, oh, they're all so perfect. They're like my best friends. And then there's the messy reality of community, which is like all these people are the worst and I can't stand being around them. And discipleship to Jesus happens in between where we're like, listen, they ain't perfect and they're not the worst, okay? A huge threat to real community is the ideal community. And I've heard you guys, some of you even vocalize this to me. You're like, dude, I really like youth group and stuff, but like my small group, they're so annoying. Dude, keep in mind the ideal community. Like I I deserve to have a, a group where everybody's just like me and they're like even cooler than me and they like bring my cool status up. That's what I really want. If you want to destroy your community, just think of how good it could be, right? Does that make sense? Keep the ideal community in your mind. Oh, what's up, Mason? I just saw you. Sorry to call you out. Good to see you, bro. Um, let me see where I was. Um, Jean Vignet, listen to what this dude says. He explains it best. He says, almost everyone finds their early days in community ideal. It, se- it, it all seems perfect. They feel they are surrounded by saints, heroes, people who are everything they want to be themselves. And then comes the letdown. The greater their idealization of the community at the start, the greater the disenchantment. Like, if people manage to get through the second period, they get to a third phase, that of realization and true commitment. They no longer see other members as saints or devils, but as people, each with a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, each growing, each with their own hope. Their community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on earth, and they are ready to walk in it and with it. They accept the community and the other members as they are. They are confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. That's so sick. So here are a few thoughts um, on our journey towards transformation in community. The first one is this. Community is non-optional for a follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. Jesus never once had a disciple. He always had disciples. You never hear of Jesus. You always hear of Jesus and a few others, Jesus and James and John, or Jesus and the 12, or Jesus and the 70, or the hundreds, or the thousands. We cannot follow Jesus alone. You cannot separate your following of Jesus from your involvement in a Jesus community because the two go together. To borrow from another metaphor, there, there, there's two dominant pictures in the New Testament. One is that we are the bride of Christ. It's like this marriage, which is pretty gnarly. Um, meaning, this is kind of what that means. If you have a problem with Christ's bride, you have a problem with Christ as, as well. That makes sense? It's like you don't treat his bride well. Well, Jesus is going to be like, bro, that's my, that's my wife. Let's go. Um, I had an illustration. I'm not going to share it. It would probably be embarrassing. But um, then there's the second one, which, which is Adelphos which means sibling or brother or sister. So we are family with God as our father is kind of the the imagery we see in the scriptures. We are adopted into the father's family. So at the same time a child is adopted into a family, not only do they have new parents, but they have new siblings, whether you want to or not, (laughs) right? And, And that child cannot separate his or her relationship with the father from the sibling's involvement. That's why the whole concept of like, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Have you ever heard that before? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That does not fly in the kingdom of God. That does not fly in Jesus' church. Like when you are adopted, you can't claim God as your father and claim that the siblings are not your siblings as well. It doesn't work that way as much as we wish it did from time to time. This is so hard for us to swallow because we're, we're a very, very individualistic society. Like um, Barna recently did, uh, oh, no, talked about that one. Um, Barna's study, I want to follow Jesus on my own. (laughs) 
That's the only way. I don't want to do it in community. I just want my coffee. I want a podcast. I want people to zip it, and it's just me and the Lord, right? Um, Ronald Rollheiser, which Dave also used this, but is pure gold. Part of the essence of Christianity is to be together in a concrete community with all the real human faults that are there, the tensions it will bring up or bring us spiritually for Christians um, for Christians can never be an individual individualistic quest, the pursuit of God outside of community, family, and the church. The God of the incarnation tells us that anyone who says he or she loves an invisible God in heaven and is unwilling to deal with the visible neighbor on earth is a liar since no one can love a God who he cannot see or cannot be seen if he or she cannot love a neighbor who can be seen. Hence, Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. That last line, it's always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. I hate that quote, but it's so true. Christian spirituality is just as much about dealing with other people as it is about dealing with God. The second one is this, Christian community or community is essential for a well-lived life. So this doesn't matter if you are a follower of Jesus, a follower of Buddha, an atheist, whatever it is. If you are human, you were made for relationship. There's this book called um, Relational Soul. Listen to what it has to say about this. If you don't know what to talk about, you usually just quote much smarter people than you, and it usually does a pretty good job. So here it is. At the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be in relationship. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with one another. So nothing has proven this more than the effects we are seeing on like the isolation of our culture. Like I'm not saying that because I'm a little bit more extroverted, right? But no matter what your personality is, you are a relational soul. Every single person in here was born with this innate need to be in relationship. Your life will flourish in the context of relationship. Do you know what the number one thing or the very first thing that was called not good in the scripture? What was it? Yeah, for people to be alone. Adam was roaming around, and he was kicking it with the animals and eating food, and it was great, walking hand-in-hand with God. And then he was like, it's not good for you to not have someone. I'm going to, boom, community, okay? It's not good when we're alone. Write that down. Number three, community is the context where transformation takes place. That's what you experienced at camp, a lot of you. Community is the primary environment where people change on a surface level, just like mom always says, If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Why does she say that? Because you become like the people you hang out with. Mom wants you to hang out with people that aren't dumb so you don't follow suit, right? But but at a deeper level, Christian community does two things to transform us. How many things? It probably does more, but probably two as well. Exposure and encouragement. That's what community does for us. It exposes what's actually inside of you. And you're like, I don't want community for that reason. I don't want people to know who I am. Well, that's why you need community. Just like the story we read earlier about James and John, the sons of thunder, like all of that never would have happened if they were never in community with the other 12. And and like an anger problem with Peter, who you might know about his anger problem in the scripture, um, that never would have been exposed if he would have stayed in the boat with dad and kept fishing. Pete, Pete Scazzaro, he had a way of explaining this. He calls it your shadow side. Did you know you guys have a shadow side? It's like this shadow that, that comes behind you. Look, listen to this illustration, how he says it. Your shadow side is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, 
that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behavior. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. Those are big words, but you're smart kids, all right? But here's what that means. In community, there's something about you that you can't see. It's called your shadow. And you need people, you need a community that loves you enough and sticks with you enough to see how nasty your shadow is, your most broken, untamed version of you is. You need them to be able to say, hey, bro, you might not know this about you, but you're actually being really prideful right now. Does that make sense? It's like you don't know this about, you need community to call out your shadow side because you cannot see it yourself. That's why it's important. Like, dude, you're being, you're being, that's not cool. You're not being cool right now, bro. Stop doing that. You know, we need to be exposed in those areas. Usually it's deeper than you're being annoying. It's like, bro, this is like a systemic thing that you need to work on. You know, we all have a shadow side. Um, the second one is encouragement. At a, at a psychological and neurological level, the only way to heal a relational wound is in relationship. Isn't that crazy? Our deepest wounds and our greatest healings come in the context of relationship. That's why it's so tragic when people get hurt in a relationship and then refuse to develop any other relationships out of fear from getting hurt again. Because you can only heal in relationships. So, man, I pray that this is a place where you, f- you feel so encouraged that every time we get in a small group, you actually feel encouragement, not just from your leader, but our, us as students invest in being encouragers to those in your small groups. Does that make sense? Number four, we're cruising. Community is not necessarily a group of friends. You're like, what? Dang it. We likely gravitate towards or often have close relationships with people who are just like us right? Who have the same interests as us, maybe the same haircuts as us, right? Um, People who talk like us, dress like us, whatever it is. But if this is your community, if your community has to be just like you, play the same sport as you, um, whatever it is, the chances are you are far more interested in yourself than you are in real community. Don't get me wrong though, like Sharing interests is a really, really great thing. But if you're like, listen, our community exists because we are the best of bros because we share all these things and interests. You can be the best of bros and be so different. Me and Luke are actually very, very different human beings. (laughs) Super different. Um, He's way cooler than I am, but uh, we're different. And um, what if we fought to be interested in and invested in people who are super different than we were? What if we made that decision? Like in our small groups, there, there might be people that you actually don't really engage with or even talk to in your small group. What if you made a commitment like just because we're different doesn't mean we can't be close? In fact, I might need what they offer me. Um, number five, community is the byproduct of commitment. On one hand, we ache for community, but on the other hand, we want to keep our options open. You ever been in that boat? Anybody? Like somebody invites you and you're like, listen, that sounds legit, but I think this other person's going to invite me to this thing. (laughs) So I'm going to keep my options open. Or you're like, listen, this person asked me to homecoming. You know what I mean? Just kidding. That's just Luke. But um, that happened to Luke. That's for another time. It's very, very sad. Actually, should I share that real quick? Okay. So he gets invited to, to homecoming. And this girl says yes. He's like really excited. And then... Then the next day, she's like, sorry, my dad said I can't go. And he's like, dang it. Oh, I really wanted to go with her. So he didn't go. And then the next day at class, he's sitting next to this kid. And he, he was like, dude, did you go to, go to homecoming? He's like, no. And uh, 
He's like, who did you go with? And it was the girl that, that first said yes. <laughs> Anyways, this is actually on a podcast, and Luke will probably listen to this this weekend. Love you, Luke. Can we just say we love Luke? Okay, great. Um, so we live in a world of options. That's what I have to say about that. So we, we, we hold out wondering, what if there is something or someone better out there, especially in community? It's like, I kind of like this church. I kind of like this youth group, but maybe something bigger and better. I kind of like the worship here, but I want, well, I kind of like, you know what I'm saying? We want to keep our options open, but we, ha- dude, Real community happens on the other side of commitment. Like, I don't care if it's not my preference. I don't care if, if the group is annoying sometimes. I don't care if the, the, the teaching is terrible. Like, I'm going to come because I'm committed to this community. Um, we cannot experience true community without commitment. That's just the reality of it. Um, we have to do that. So St. Benedict, this old, well, saint, he, uh, he said it this way. It, he actually came up with this, this word called stability, but he, he, he defined stability like this, the spiritual skill of staying put to get somewhere. I love that vision for our youth group. It's like, dude, I'm going to stay put because that's actually going to grow me. That's actually going to get me somewhere. Does that make sense to you? Not so good. Um, slow church, another, another quote. This is just going to blow your mind. S- slow church, so good. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. What I've been saying, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. Isn't that so good? We've got to stay put. We've got to live rooted. We've got to commit for the long haul. And I'm preaching to myself here because the long haul is sometimes grueling. Maybe you guys are like, dude, we've been sitting here for a long time. Like, um, like I don't want to stay and grow. I want to get the heck out of here, right? We will in a second. But it takes a long time to get to know each other, to get to know people. It takes intentionality. Um, and so how do, we, how do we live that out? I'll tell you how. See, we're trying to get out of here. No. I, you're, you're good. You're, you're good, bro. I need some water, too. It's hot up in here. I feel you. Um, here's, here's how we do this. We don't, we don't live out community around a stage once a week. Because the reality is this isn't community because you're listening to me talk. What's community is when we turn around and we face each other and we have conversations about what's going on here. We share what's going on, going on in our lives. We sharpen each other. We, we encourage one another. That is what community is all about. So instead of uh, sitting here in this larger gathering, we're going to actually practice community. We're going to practice encouraging one another in our small groups. And I know there's a lot of uh, newer people that might not know who their small group leader is. If you don't know where to go, please come talk to me. Um, Patrick, go ahead and raise your hand. He is going to be taking care of the freshmen and the sophomores. So if you're ninth or 10th, go with that fellow there. Allison is taking the seventh grade ladies. Um, Come talk to me if you don't know anything else. Let me pray over you guys, and then we're going to spend some time discussing this. God, thank you so much for, for this crew. Um, thank you that you designed us to be in relationship with one another. Thank you for providing us a space to exercise what it's like to be in community. Um, we, we just truly want to experience deep community, so I just pray like a spirit of um, resilience and a spirit of longevity among this youth crew. So uh, be in the midst of our discussion. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.